Welcome, everyone, to Mystery, a podcast about myths and history. I am one of your hosts, Bryant, with my permanent guest, Cami. Hey there, Cami. Hey, Bryant. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. And the not permanent guest, Peter. Peter, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me back. That's right, everyone. It's Apodicus Magnus. So each week, Mystery will give you stories and tales from famous legends and epics and then talk about some of the history behind it. And every other Friday, we bring Peter along to just basically have him do the whole show for us so we can sit back (laughs) and relax a little bit. Get on my back, guys. I'll just carry you through this. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So... We are going into a nice subject today because we recently did an episode on 300. Cami and I did a normal episode. Uh, this episode goes very well with that. Today we are talking specifically about the Battle of Marathon, or Marathon, as my Greek-loving girlfriend kept saying to me. Um, <laughs> so we're talking about the Battle of Marathon, and uh, we're also going to have a little discussion about the Olympics uh, and sort of what it meant to the ancient Greeks a little bit, a uh, little, little Olympics 101, and then sort of the connection between Marathon and the Olympics, which I thought there was a much greater connection. And there's a strong connection, but anyway, we'll go into that a little bit. Um, yeah, are we are we ready to get there, guys? Absolutely. Well, Peter, please take us away. All right. Well, I'll be starting off this morning. I'm going to talk a little bit about my sources first because I don't want to put that at the end. I want to be able to transition right into Cammy's story. Um, it's, a, it's a two-parter, so stay stay tuned. Uh, my sources, of course, were uh, Wikipedia and Finding Dulcinea. They were like my jumping off points, uh, which led me to some primary sources, uh, primarily book six of Herodotus' Histories. Um, I've become addicted to the ex- excellent lecture series uh, from Jillian Shepard from Latrobe University in Australia. Um, the, her lectures are available like wherever you get your podcast. She's awesome. Um, an article from Saeed Adil from Five Guy Facts, which did a really good job of connecting modern sports to this kind of mythical marathon run. Um, and something kind of on the side, if you if you find this kind of stuff interesting, there's a really fun new anime called Extra Olympia Kyklos, which is very funny, and it does a really good job of um, connecting the ideas of modern sports with sports of the ancient world. Really cool. All right, here we go. It is the year 490 BC, 10 years before the brave Leonidas and his 300 Spartans defended the pass of Thermopylae from Xerxes and his massive Persian army. Xerxes' father, Darius I, now sits on the Persian throne, and under his leadership, the Achaemenid Empire has grown into the largest empire the world has ever known. From their capital in Persepolis, the Persians have extended their influence east into what is now India, south as far as Egypt, and west into Ionia, which is modern-day Turkey. But Greek power is also on the rise. Greek at this time is a diverse collection of city-states situated on a rather unique geography. Its many peninsulas and islands reach out into the Aegean Sea like a giant arm, scattering its people and cultures along the western coast of Ionia. And revolution is brewing in Ionia. Cities have begun rising up against their Persian governors, and they have been supported at times by Greek troops sent by Athens and Eritrea. Darius sends his ambassadors to the Greek states 
demanding their submission. And most of the Greeks agree to surrender, except, of course, our friends in Athens and Sparta, who publicly execute the ambassadors. Upon receiving the news, Darius shoots an arrow into the heavens and beseeches Zeus to bring destruction to the Athenians. He orders his servants to remind him three times a day before dinner, your highness, remember the Athenians. So a big grudge is, is, is growing here. Uh, Darius begins amassing his armies with the aim of crushing the revolutions in Ionia and subduing those troublesome Greeks. Rather than bridging the Hellespont and marching their troops over land, as Xerxes did, the Persians set out with a large amphibious invasion force. Uh, after laying siege to Eritrea and burning it to the ground, the Persians set their sights on Athens. On a hot summer day, the Persian fleet moors in the Bay of Marathon, and, and as they unload their troops, the Athenian army swiftly marches the 25 miles north to meet their foes on the plain of Marathon. Two narrow valleys converge to form the plain, and the Athenian general Miltiades positions his troops to seal off those two exits from the battlefield. He makes his camp near the shrine of Heracles, hoping the demigod will aid them in battle. Unable to maneuver the sea at their backs, the Persian generals Datis and Artaphernes must wait. Their deadly cavalry is still on the ships. The Athenian army is outnumbered nearly three to one. In some accounts, it was much, uh, much more outnumbered. Their heavily armored phalanx of hoplite infantry is formidable, but if they become surrounded, the Persian cavalry will cut them to pieces. <clears throat> Desperately needing reinforcements, Miltiades, one of these days I'll get it, sends his swiftest runner, Philippides, to Sparta to request support. Philippides begins the 140-mile journey under the burning summer heat. He crosses uneven terrain, rarely resting, and only eating and drinking as much as he can carry. While surmounting Mount Parnithian, he encounters Pan, god of the wild and end of shepherds and flocks. The god demands to know why the Athenians do not honor him with temples. Philippides assures the god that the Athenians will make great offerings to him if he aids them in the coming battle. Finally, Philippides reaches Sparta in just two days, only to discover that the city is in the middle of the religious festival of Carnea. The warriors are all draped with garlands and a great ram is to be sacrificed. The Spartans refuse to fight until the full moon, which is another six days away. Undeterred, Philippides swiftly makes the 140-mile journey back to Marathon and gives his reports to General Miltiades. The two armies have now been facing each other for five days, and the two opposing generals are growing impatient. Datis knows that the Spartan, Spartans are coming, but he does, he does not know that they have been delayed. Miltiades fears that the Persians might reembark their cavalry and send their navy down to attack Athens directly while the armies are in a stalemate. Finally, one morning at dawn, Miltiades receives favorable omens from the gods and moves his troops into position to attack. He masses his troops on his wings and keeps his center weak, hoping to prevent the Persian cavalry from encircling them. Miltiades marches his troops right up to within range of the Persian archers and then orders his men to charge forward. As they advance, the Persian infantry, with their light bows and wicker shields, prove no match for the heavily armored and long-speared hoplites. 
Like a great vice, the Athenian flanks close in and crush the Persian lines. The god Pan, inspired by the run of Philippides, sends the retreating Persians into a panic. Their disorderly withdrawal leaves units scattered throughout the battlefield and make for easy prey for the Athenian infantry. Many Persians become lost in the confusion and drown in the swamps that border the battlefield. Many troops report seeing gods joining them in battle. The ghost of Theseus, historic founder of Athens, is seen entering the fray. Heracles and Athena herself lend their strength to the Athenian cause, and a previously unseen god, Echetlaus, strikes down many Persians while wielding a great weaponized plow. The god of I love this character. This god of this god of agriculture has surely appeared to defend the great agricultural stores that lie beyond the plain of Marathon in Attica. The Greeks successfully drive the Persians back onto their ships. By the end of the battle, nearly a third of the invading army has been captured or killed. The Athenians have only lost a few hundred men. But there is no time to celebrate. Miltiades knows that there is no greater threat than a wounded animal. More heroic deeds will be required to achieve total victory. Nice. That was a very well, dis- good description of that whole event. Thanks. I saw you. Very I saw cool. you. Not, saw you nodding and made me. Yeah. Happy. <laughs> I wanted. I had like a reminder. I just wanted to add real fast. Like so, just to kind of point in the hoplets that they like the spears that they had. Mm-hmm. They were like. They were huge. They were like really, 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 really long, like mm-hmm. 20 plus feet long. So just a heads up. So that's it's when you've got a bunch of like Persian farmers coming to run in and you've got like these buff Athenian and Spartan dudes with literal just I mean, they're just huge. Anyway, that's that's what I wanted to talk about. And it's incredible too because they'll, they, they line up in, in line. So you've got. Guys out front with their spears out. You've got guys behind them with their spears like at an angle. So like anybody trying to get over or around is just going to get. It's like a giant porcupine. And you know the Persians had this massive army. It was very diverse. It was drawn from you know all their territories. So a very diverse army. But but I think they were used to just overwhelming people with their numbers. But their equipment wasn't very good. Yeah. Well, Cami, can you roll this up for us? Conclude. This wonderful story? Absolutely. Uh, my sources are Wikipedia and also the real Fidipity story by Dean Carnassus. Fidipides knew he would make the long journey to Athens to tell a victory. It must be him. He was the swiftest of the elite branch of soldiers tasked with running ahead of the forces and, on- and the only one who wouldn't stop until he reached his destination. The long run had taken its toil on his body, his calves tight, his skin chafed. He rested for a short time and munched on dates and olives to gather energy while he planned his route. It was only 25 miles to Athens. He had just run more than four times that to Sparta and back. He would do it. He still had fire in him. He massaged his leg with the oil from the olives he was eating. It helped. His body could do it because his mind could. He inhaled deeply and looked to the heavens. The clouds above him seemed to urge him on his way. So he stood, his back to his fellow soldiers, and began his journey. He had good news to spread and a warning. He must make it to Athens. As he ran, he prayed to the trickster guard Hermes for swift passage. 
The Persians, he thought, they're coming in ships, and Athens is none the wiser. I am faster than a ship. The only thing faster than me is time, and time is not my friend. I am faster than a ship. And so he ran, his hair matted to his face with sticky sweat that ran to his eyes. They burned. Again he prayed, this time to Nike. May she hear his words and answer his pleas for victory. The Athenians, he thought, must ready for war before the ships can reach them. They must meet the troops on land while their cavalry is absent. I am faster than a horse. The only thing faster than me is time, and time is not my friend. I am faster than a horse. And so he ran, his clothes soaked through, his breath heavy, his feet heavy as well. Again he prayed, this time to Athena, let me save your city. Give my body the strength of a warrior to endure. I must endure. The Persians, he thought, they will destroy everything if they board those ships before, the, before Athens knows of their plan. They conquer through fear. I am faster than fear. The only thing faster than me is time, and time is on no man's side. I am faster than fear. He looks to the horizon and sees the giant statue of Athena. She has answered him. He will make it. He will outrun time. He will save the gleaming pride of Greece. He, draped in olive leaves and purple garments, will eat figs and drink wine and dance with the beautiful people there in celebration. He will dine. He will sleep. He will take a chariot home. When he reached the gates of the city, a crowd gathered to hear his story of victory against all odds and the coming danger. He was faster than a ship. He was faster than a horse. He was faster than fear. He was faster than time. But he spoke. But as he spoke the words, rejoice, we conquer. His heart was pained. His breath was ragged. His body was worn. He collapsed to the ground and moved no more. Yes, he was faster than a ship. Yes, he was faster than a horse. Yes, he was faster than fear. Yes, the only thing faster than him was time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was crazy. Um, I, I wanna, I have to talk to because I, I mentioned it in the last few episodes. I'm almost done with this book. Uh, it's like a history of Genghis Khan, and they talk about the military strategies of the Mongols. And one thing the Mongols did to keep uh, like a huge line of communication open. You know, this is like 13th century, so uh, you know, no, no newer ways to communicate. But they, they would have, of course, horsemen. So I'm wondering why they didn't have any horsemen for this guy. But then they also had like a relay station of arrows. So like, you know, horse guy would ride a bunch, but then shoot an arrow really far. It would hit a station and then they would just keep doing that. Why couldn't they have thought of this? I'm just saying. <laughs> but then again, there's no awesome story about some Mongolian uh, guy running and dying. So right. I guess that's how it works. Well, yeah. So Peter pretty much nailed it. The we and we talked about it too in our 300 episode recently. But yeah, the Persians were huge. King Darius the first, he was uh, actually a usurper too. I realized he he took he seized the Persian throne, and so um, he had a lot going on. His his empire wasn't super uh, cohesive. But he was able to to bring these troops together, and and he did have a lot of power over the Ionians and and that part like think of modern day Turkey, so it's that land bridge to the Mediterranean to the Greeks from like Iran, the heartland of the Persian Empire uh, or modern day Iran. So um, he's going over there. He wants to mess with them. Uh, the Ionians have been revolting because they're like, nah, dude. Then the Athenians are like, yes, dude, we'll help. Darius isn't cool with that. 
so he he's ready to punish a little bit and and long story short he doesn't make it and then uh 12 years later his son xerxes goes and brings up the fight again and that's what we cover in the 300 episode so this this is like a really good chain here so and, and yeah what we talked about the the victory was pretty much attributed to the greek focus on technology their trained soldiers yes they had the numbers but a lot of it might like was probably levies of undertrained soldiers and things like that that just weren't well like couldn't couldn't heat up to that so it, it it's really cool the 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 Battle of Marathon, uh, we have pretty much the same sources that you'd, you'd expect from ancient Greece. The prime one being Herodotus, the uh, ancient Greek um, historian. Um, he has he, he was our main source for when we talked about the 300 Spartans and their uh, exploits. He's an extremely important figure um, uh, that's written on a ton of uh, of these exploits. Um, there's also several uh modern like sculptures that were made we we know that they were uh in um homage to the the city states coming together remember at this point in the ancient greek period this wasn't there were there were lots of city states they would help each other but they would be fighting i mean the greeks uh or the um athenians and the spartans would be at their are at each other's throats would be at each other's throats after all this stuff so it, it keeps going and going um, and Herodotus was was uh, actually born during the battles of Thermopylae during the Persian the, the near the end of the Greco-Persian Wars. So he really does have like a firsthand account on all of this stuff, too. Um, but it's cool. The, the 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 Battle of Marathon really has evolved and we have these sources. We have archaeological evidence of the Greco-Persian Wars. We have the writings of these guys. But obviously especially this this run this final run that um Phaipides or whatever his name was cuz it might have <laughs> been someone else uh has totally taken on it, an, like an idea of its own uh mm-hmm. it it became so famous and just kept sort of growing and but it's it's really cool because you know a lot of so this battle took around 492 BC uh and the the myths you know, Homer lived probably 800 to 1200 BC and the myths of Zeus these these Greek origin myths precede that so it's really cool to have this sort of like injected myth and these soldiers talking about seeing all these gods in the battle and I I, I really like that like yeah I totally saw the, him there did you see him uh-huh. there he's totally killing people yeah I saw him I didn't yeah uh-huh. it reminds me a lot of of Troy and like the Iliad and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I really, that, that stuff all came later too. Like, like Herodotus was probably talking to like, you know, veterans who were actually there. So, you know, there's, you know, he was not born during marathon, but when he right. was writing, there were probably still people who had, you know, veterans of that battle. So we have kind of his, his kind of dryness, but then, you know, to kind of elevate the story and elevate the glory of Athens, like the story, particularly of the second run, the run that, that Cammy was talking about, is much more romanticized, much more tied in with like, you know, the gods helping. So we have this really kind of dry historical, like Herodotus doesn't mention the gods helping at all, but that comes that comes later. And a, a, you know, a lot of the artwork that survives of, of the Battle of Marathon shows shows these gods helping. But yeah. Yeah, it's cool. I, I like like too like um Pan got injected in this, uh, and Nike 
owing to the the term panic as pain, like you know freaking out the Persian army, um, things like that. And it, it seemed really like closely tied to Athens as this martyr. But yeah, why would he die if he's like a professional runner too? I don't know. Um, so the connection to like I said when I when I was when we started looking at a marathon for some reason I thought that marathon that specific like you know marathon's a place but I thought it always had a connection to the Olympics and of course there was running in the Olympics the ancient mm-hmm. Olympics and things like that but it the connection kind of came later much later right and uh, so of course the, the the idea of running a marathon comes from this specific you, you cover the the distance the tw- twenty six miles. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the the fixed distance between like to run two marathon that that this Phaeopides made before he collapsed, and it wasn't so a, a quick history on the Olympics too because it it had been going on before this. Um, uh, we know for certain that it happened. It's around 776 um, for sure, but they they speculate it might have been 884 or 1253 BCE as as early or as late as that I should say. I mean. Um, but we definitely have evidence of it happening in 776, and then it stopped in 394 during the Christianization of the the Roman uh, Empire. It, it um, they you know they ceased this because it was it was totally it was for Zeus. It was to honor mm-hmm. Zeus. The Olympics totally were. Um, but so once it ended, um, or 394 AD is what I think it it was. Right, it would have um, had to have been because of Christ- you, yeah. you said Christianity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. It wasn't until literally the 18th century uh, that we started it started coming kind of coming back so archaeologists were finally modern archaeology was able to uh take a look at these places bring it up um and we we started having people get interested in uh reviving the olympics um mainly there was the um french this french like i guess you could say like aristocrat kind of pierre de coubertin uh he is credited with being the founder of the modern olympics and with the help of uh of the suggestion of michel braille who wanted to do the marathon race he was really uh he, he really liked the the idea the story of marathon um you, you kind of think of like a second renaissance again we're having sort of modern Western civilization is getting its hand on the ancient Greek stuff more and more are um, excavating the old stadium in Olympus and things like mm-hmm. that. So there's this huge thing. The, the world is this, the, the mid, yeah, like mid ish, uh, like 1860s. So the world's globalizing increasingly thanks to the industrial revolution. And so they tried, it actually failed at first. It didn't go so well. Um, but then again, it worked out um, just before the end of the 19th century, they were able to sort of bring it back. And the marathon race was one of the famous events. Fun fact too, uh, a handful of uh, Bostonians were there um, in that time. (laughs) They go back home and they're like, let's do it ourselves. And then that's how you get the Boston marathon. Mm -hmm. So kind of a crazy connection there, but yeah, so it, that's sort of the evolution of Marathon, the, the the tale of Marathon. It essentially helped spark the revival of the Olympics. This this ancient historical battle during the Greco-Persian Wars happens. Uh, there's this dude who may or may have not have died. I mean, we, we have plenty of sources that talk about him. Again, he, he's credited being named either um, uh, Phidippides, Philippides, Phaedipides, um, even there's a couple other names that like that are compl- uh, Th- uh, Thersippus, Urquius, or Euclides. Hmm. So there's there's different sources based off of Plutarch, um, Heraclides, Pontus, 
all uh, different Greek, Roman, ancient historians, they have uh, these connections to it, but they're really not certain. But there is this idea of a runner either giving good news, saying like that's my favorite one, is he's just like, "Hooray, it's over." Uh, um, <laughs> Or he's he's giving a warning, and I think that reminds warning... me of John Henry so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the American legend John Henry. That was an episode. We did. Yeah, yeah. It's just totally like he worked so I, hard, he broke his heart. Right. Yeah. Die. Like yeah. stop dying. There's no need for this, really. The story has to end somehow. But it makes it so, it makes it so legendary. It adds it adds a little it's bit of tragedy and sacrifice. It's great. Yeah, we wouldn't have remembered Phidippides just running 26.2 miles if. Just thumb up, just like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. and then goes home, has some olives. he's out, bye. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the funny thing, too. So uh, it, it's kind of crazy. I mean, I, I, you know, I mentioned the, yeah, the, the Mongols having the sophisticated system, so that way you don't remember them. And then there's Paul Revere. That's a really famous one that sort of happens. Again, why couldn't they just give Phoebe's a horse? I don't know. But, <laughs> but yeah, so so there's there's a there's a really wild connection here of the the greco-persian wars the battle of marathon the runner going to marathon and then essentially sparking the revival now the revival may have happened uh regardless just because of like pierre de Coubertin, he you know funding these excavations looking through everything and and this idea of wanting to bring it but even uh modern greece during the 19th century was totally down with not only bringing the games back but bringing in a, a marathon to it um mm-hmm. Another so a, a last little thing I've got that's kind of interesting is I ended up looking into someone who who is called sort of just for for name Dactyl Heracles. So we all know Heracles is the the Greek name for Hercules, and there is a, a something called dactyls in in ancient Greece and this is, there's a, there's a few meanings here a, da- a dactyl is like a unit of measurement apparently in ancient Greece I didn't look too much in this but that's just sort of the blurb but the dactyls were also an ancient race uh like a, a a mythical race of of men just just buff guys I don't know I I they're essentially demigods so dactyl heracles is actually credited with uh, essentially finding found being a founder of the Olympic games. Hmm. He um, and his uh, five, he, he had or four other like brothers essentially uh, would had, were, were famed with racing and um, racing in armor, which was an old, one of the oldest Olympic games. Um, so let's see, like the Corets. Yeah. So the, the dactyls, um, they, to, to praise Zeus for wrestling his dad, Kronos, he wrestled Papa Kronos, and they were like, great job, you, you wrestled with time, uh, so we're going to run in our armor for you. And from that, essentially, yeah, the the Olympic Games were born. And what's interesting is Herodotus um, – no, hold on. Is it Herodotus? Or, so uh, – oh, actually, a few. So Strabo, Pausanias – Again, different Greek um, going up into like the second and fourth century A.D., starting around the time of Herodotus. It's it's mentioned this this Heracles or Hercules that founded the Olympics. And they even in this time period mentioned the confusion because I was really confused. I, I actually even Googled like who is the god of Greek sport and Hercules comes up. But it's it isn't necessarily Hercules or, or Heracles, mm. but it also is some ancient states did correlate 
Hercules being Hercules. Now, again, like again, the, the Hercules, both of these Hercules would have been ancient. And so. But, but some some states distinctly divide them um, like the, the Hercules that we know of the uh, the son of Zeus and um, oh, it is Ekmenon, the farmer. Uh, but but again, it's kind of funny because they're both sons of Zeus. These mm. two Her- Heracles or Hercules, both sons of Zeus. So it's it's extremely confusing. But essentially, there's there's two important demigod Hercules. One is credited with, with being a Disney movie, and then the other is credited among other things, and the other is credited with founding the Olympics. And in some cases, the records, the sources, the ancient texts show that they're one and the same, and that one kind of evolved into hmm. it in the future. So, yeah, I was really surprised by that. I thought that was really interesting. He um, may have, he may have been based on a real person, like from the, the dactyl tribe or the dactyl people. I I don't that's super we're going pre 12th century BC oh I think with that stuff yeah that's so like it's as old as it it, it's it's old like it's very old myth and and it's just kind of funny I think because of the confusion of of the names and the importance of of Hercules and Heracles I think that it just sort of like especially in modern Greek discussion dropped off Hmm. so I, I think they just said no like just just talk about Hercules of the Twelve Labors. Don't talk about this other guy. And, and again, because some some ancient sources would even note that oh, they worship um, the the uh, uh, what is it called the Dactyl Heracles as the real Heracles, and that and that's a mistake or something like that. But it, so it, it's super confusing, and it and it really is. I even there's an Olympic um, uh, like dot org uh, website that I came across. That even it it mentions it kind of gives you like Greek myth 101 connection to it like Zeus and stuff like that. It doesn't even mention any form of Hercules or Heracles, mm. and I think it's just to avoid the confusion. Just to simplify because it, especially for us today, you know, it, it's really easy to know the basics of Greek myth just from pop culture and just just generalization. But that it just brings in a nice confusing little bit to it. I mean, I was really kind of confused for a little while until I finally was able to, to understand. I looked at those sources actually referencing it then in the second century AD. People were like, no, 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 there's two Heracles. These guys think it's the, they're, they're dumbasses. They don't know what they're talking about. Um, so <laughs> I, I do find it really interesting how we have like, like the marathon as an organized run is a fairly modern uh, sporting event based on this historical, you know, historical mythological story. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, you know, a lot of the Olympic events, a lot of like high school track and field events can be traced back to these ancient Olympic games, like the discus, the javelin running, wrestling. Um, a lot of this was, you know, we've been, these are sports that have been fairly organized for thousands of years. I think that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Olympics have really evolved over time. And I imagine there were like localized events, too. So even when the Olympics didn't kind of go on, I mean, obviously, I mean, competition is a great way to to do, you know, to, to live. It's it's a super essential part of, of humanity. And, and so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's it's cool. So it, it just it's really wild to see. That evolution um, another big thing I found during my research, I mean, when you look up, like, if, if you just, you know, my, my rudimentary stuff was Greek mythology and sports or, or, or mythology and sports, there's a modern idea of uh, – there, there's a huge pool of, of 
of discussion regarding just how huge sports. I mean, they're monstrously huge today. Like Michael Jordan, like I, there was an article on Michael Jordan that popped up even. And I just I scrolled through it quickly. I mean, he's got it. He he like if you know, ten thousand years from now, when our ruins are being excavated, they're gonna find a t- an ancient statue of Hercules <laughs> and an ancient statue of Michael <laughs> Jordan, and they're gonna be like, these dudes were around the same time, obviously. <laughs> mm. um, well, I, I've got an interesting idea about that. Yeah. So, so you know, originally Olympic Games were to honor Zeus. I mean, there was a massive ivory and gold statue of Zeus yep. in in Olympia. Um, so this is all about celebrating Zeus. And you know, you look at today, you know, like what are sports? What are sports for? Like, who are we glorifying? We're really kind of glorifying the athletes. Like they've they've become like the gods essentially. Like you know, yeah, you're, you're Michael Jordans, you're Tom Brady's. They're like these larger than life. Yeah, celebrated I, figures and extremely powerful people too. Right. I look at uh, with Kobe Bryant's passing. It, it's mm-hmm. it's that has been that was a huge. cultural moment. Yep. It, it it yeah. It was it was like losing a a, a god in ancient Greece. Like finding mm-hmm. out a god had died um, somehow. So yeah, it, it's it's really cool. I even found I didn't even I read like the abstract of it. I found this like um I have it actually here uh. uh an academic article called Sport as Myth as a Myth by um Klimov Mikhail Yurovich. And I it it is way above me. <laughs> it's it's very <laughs> intense. It, it's really cool though. So but yeah there there is there is a really cool connection there that goes a meta meta connection that goes beyond things regarding looking at how sports affect things, how how they change everything. The the meanings that we put behind them and again this this battle of marathon the run specifically is almost more uh more important than the actual battle itself in as far as like the the story going and it's it's legacy and and again we can trace that that story of marathon the run to the late 19th century and the revival of the olympic games which were shut down for over a thousand years because of this. So yeah, that's the craziness that we have for you today. Um, I think that that pretty much covers me. I'll, I'll give you guys my sources too, before I forget. Um, my favorite source I'll start with first is um, theoi.com, T-H-E-O-I.com. They had really awesome primary sources. That was the one source that was able to really like break down Dactylos um, Heracles or Dactyl uh, Heracles, Dactylos. Um, that really helped me out. It, it also showed me like it, it labels who says what in the ancient text and things like that. Um, I, of course, used Britannica and Wikipedia as well, but also history.com and eyewitness to history.com gave me a little 101 on the Battle of Marathon and things like that. Oh, and I I'll I'll, I'll one more thing that I wanted to mention. I, I meant to mention it earlier is we, we talked in the 300 episode. Um, we essentially talked about how Herodotus is the source for the 300 Spartans. That's it. That's kind of it. And then I was thinking to myself, well, how do I how do I trust Herodotus? How do we do that? And I was looking on Reddit. There's a really good subreddit called Ask Historians. It's it's very professional. It's not like you know, it's very well moderated and and real historians back up their their stuff there. And I found this great thing by a user named Legal Action. He has this great post that talks about textual criticism. And in a nutshell, it's just basically it's about you trace where these manuscripts and primary documents came from or secondary sources. You just boil things down. You corroborate. You take everything with a grain of salt, too, in a way. 
Um, but of course, having multiple sources that are independent of each other is, is really helpful. And, you know, in these case of the Greco-Persian Wars, we do have the writings of, of a handful of historians. We do have monuments that listed uh, these things. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but there's a like the, the Battle of Thermopylae. They made a snake a three-headed snake statue that wrote down city-states and how many soldiers that they gave to the battle. So there, there are these things that we have to corroborate because um, it, it is. It's hard to, to verify these things. And um, how do we know, you know, Herod- was this Herodotus's work? No, it was Herodotus's, and then someone copied it and someone translated it to Arabic and then it got lost and then some Greek dude found it and, you know, 1000 AD Byzantium and he translated it again and then it got translated to French. So... <laughs> <laughs> but you, you track that stuff, you know, you, you, you do your best to boil that down. So that way you have the context that explains everything. So I'll, I'll um, post a link to this thread because it's just it's really cool. There's a lot here. Um, uh, but but textual criticism and, and um, historicity in general is another concept of, of how history is written that are really important regarding these things. So, um, you know, take take in the facts, but, you know, you, you just have to be aware of everything surrounding them that's the important part and that's what the historians really do they focus on and Mm -hmm. then then we we take that and then we talk about it on our podcast (laughs) make all these connections yeah that's it it's fantastic well cammy and peter thanks so much that was really great does anyone have anything to add Actually, yeah, I wanted to get some of the sort of housekeeping stuff out of the way towards the end uh we did hit uh 198 in the u.s history charts for podcasts so that's yeah that's really big yeah um we also were 44 in poland so hello to our polish listeners and we were 84 in new zealand for history podcasts so uh thank you new zealand and uh specifically zina yeah (laughs) to say hello in polish it's dzień dobry so it's in Jobri, everyone. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, we have we have had some awesome growth lately. We had that good experience of the pod VCon. We, we mentioned this a little bit when we mm-hmm. listed Cammy's episode where she was in a women in podcasting panel. It was really cool. Check it out. Um, and we really appreciate all the new followers and listeners. Remember, we are on Facebook. That's probably one of the best ways to kind of join us, our Facebook group. But we're also on Instagram, Twitter. Reddit technically too. I need to do some more with that. Uh, but we also post these uh, episodes as videos now, um, as our, our wonderful Skype calls. So uh, check out our YouTube channel. Remember, it's Myth Story with an I E. It's all one word, but Mystery with an I E instead of a Y. Yeah, I think that covers it, right? Did I miss anything? No, I think we're good. I do want to thank. Uh, I'd like to thank Tina from the Psychedelic Podcast and Alex from That Strange as well. Uh, they've been super, super supportive. So yes, yeah, our podcast friends are are have been very helpful the last couple of weeks. So, um, well, okay, Peter, Cami, excellent work today. A plus. I'll let you guys come back in a couple of weeks. How about that? Awesome. That sounds great. (laughs) Well, thanks so much again. And everyone, thank you for listening. Uh, We will see you all next time. Nikkei!